Chapter Sixteen of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume Three, Chapter Sixteen. Mrs. Errington was greatly astonished to hear of Algernon's sudden departure from Whitford. The news came to her through Mrs. Thimbleby, who had learned it from the baker, who had been told by the barman at the Blue Bell that young Errington had gone off to London by the night mail on Monday. At first, Mrs. Errington was incredulous but mrs thimbleby's information was so circumstantial that at length her lodger resolved to go to ivy lodge and ascertain the truth she found castalia in a very gloomy humour yes ancrum was gone she said why well he said he went because lord seely was ill she for her part made no such statement and beyond that it was not possible to draw much information out of her mrs errington however returned not altogether ill-pleased to her lodgings and assumed an air of majestic melancholy she desired mrs thimbleby to prepare a cup of chocolate for her and to bring it forthwith to the sitting-room and when it appeared she began to sip it languidly and to hold forth and to enjoy herself oh my dear good soul she said half closing her eyes and slowly shaking her head i've had a great shock a great shock dearie me ma'am cried simple mrs thimbleby with ready sympathy looking into her lodger's round comely face nothing wrong with mr algernon i hope no thank heaven not that but perhaps the next greatest trial that could befall me in the illness of a dear relative young missus mrs thimbleby checked herself having been reproved for using that distinctive epithet of young to algernon's wife and substituted the form of words her lodger had taught her the honourable mrs errington ain't ill ma'am is she no my good creature we had a despatch last evening announcing the illness of lord seely it was sent to algy because dear lady seely was so fearful of startling me and for the same reason dear algy went off without telling me a word about it mrs thimbleby had only the haziest notion as to what kinship existed between mrs errington and the nobleman in question but she knew that her lodger was nearly connected with high folks but she had often been troubled by doubts and misgivings as to how far this fact might militate against her lodger's spiritual welfare as being apt to promote worldliness and vainglory but mrs thimbleby was full of abounding charity and she was always ready to attribute what appeared to her evil to her own poor head rather than to other people's poor heart so she merely expressed a hope that the poor gentleman would soon get over it i trust so mrs thimbleby his removal from the scene of life would be a terrible loss to this country from the sovereign downwards we should all feel it should we ma'am not of course as acutely as the family would feel it that could not be of course but i trust he will recover i wish i could have accompanied algy to town to help nurse the dear patient and take some of the care off the shoulders of my poor darling cousin belinda belinda is lady seely's christian name my good thimbleby but of course that was impossible i have not the strength for it no for sure ma'am but them high gentlefolks like them lords i mean will be sure to have nurse tenders and doctors and servants as many as they need oh as to that the king's own physician twice daily i hope said mrs thimbleby timidly before leaving the room that the lord will soften your daughter-in-law's heart to you in this trouble it must be understood that mrs errington had of late and especially since castalia's outburst against rhoda maxfield spoken of her daughter-in-law with a good deal of disapprobation pitying her son for all he had to endure and lamenting that he should have thrown himself away as he had done when so many brilliant matches were as it might be said at his feet the dear seely she would say considered that he was making a sacrifice 
that i happen to know but she displayed so undisguised an attachment and algy algy is the soul of chivalry all the ancrams ever have been it had certainly taken some time for the worthy lady to discover that her son's marriage wasn't quite a satisfactory one but when the discovery did force itself on her perceptions she was by no means tender to castalia her moral toughness of hide prevented her from being much hurt by such speeches as dear me not happy together why i thought this was such a model marriage mrs errington or ah oh, jealous and fretful is she well i always thought it wouldn't do but of course i said nothing you plumed yourself so much on the match you know at the time she could always retreat to illogical strongholds of unreason whence she sent forth retorts and arguments and statements which were found to be unanswerable by the average intellect of whitford i wonder the woman isn't ashamed really now exclaimed miss chubb once in the exasperation of listening to mrs errington calmly superior to facts and of being quite unable to touch her self-complacency by any recapitulation of them do you asked rose macdougall tartly how odd now as to me nothing would surprise me more than to find mrs errington ashamed of anything these and similar things had been freely spoken in whitford and although the world resented mrs errington's manner of complaint as being deficient in humility and candour for it is provoking to find people who ought to lament in sackcloth and ashes holding up their heads and making a merit of their deserved misfortunes yet the world admitted that mrs errington had substantial cause for complaint the honourable castalia was really intolerable and the only possible excuse for her behaviour was what had been whispered with many nods and becks and much mystery that she was not quite of sound mind and when the news began to circulate in whitford that young errington had gone to london suddenly and almost secretly the first and most general impression was that he had run away from his wife to this solution the tradesman to whom he owed money added and his debts mrs errington's statement as to lord seely's illness was not much believed and if he were ill was it likely that my lord should cause algernon and errington to be sent for later on in the course of the day it began to be known that castalia had accompanied her husband to the coach-office so that his departure had not been clandestine as far as she was concerned at all events but was it not rather odd the postmaster rushing off in this sudden manner how did he manage to leave his business mr cooper never did such things not probably that it would make much difference whether algernon and errington were here or not for everybody knew pretty well that he was a mere cipher in the office and mr gibbs did everything as to mr gibbs he was inwardly much disquieted at his chief's unwarranted absence he had received a note which algernon had left behind him to be delivered on the morning after his departure but the note was not very satisfactory my dear gibbs it said i am off to town by the night mail my wife's uncle lord seely is ill and i must see him i shall speak to him on your behalf of course the inheritance must soon fall to you without waiting for the demise of the present holder i shall be back on wednesday at latest meanwhile i trust implicitly to your discretion yours always a a e this was oracular enough but mr obadiah gibbs understood very well as he read it that by the inheritance which must soon fall to him algernon meant the place of postmaster still there was nothing in the note to commit algernon in any way whatever and his going off to london without leave and without notice was a proceeding which shocked all the old clerk's notion of what was fitting the thought did cross his mind suppose he should never come back suppose he is off to america as a short cut out of his troubles the thing was possible and the possibility haunted mr obadiah gibbs persistently though he tried to argue it away in the afternoon of tuesday rhoda maxfield walked into the post-office and asked to speak with mr errington she was on foot and alone and was looking so pretty and blooming as to arrest the attention of the dry old clerk 
when he told her that mr errington was away in london and would not be back until the next day she appeared disappointed will you tell him please that i came and wanted to speak to him particularly and beg him to come to me as soon as ever he gets back to whitford she said in her soft lady's voice mr gibbs did not answer her he stared straight over her shoulder as if medusa's head had suddenly appeared behind her rhoda turned to see what had petrified mr gibbs into silence and saw castalia errington rhoda was startled but more from sympathy with gibbs than from any other reason the quick colour mounted into her cheeks and deepened their blush rose hue to damask oh mrs errington she said and held out her hand castalia did not take it did not speak did not after one baleful stare of anger look at her come into the private office she said addressing gibbs in a dry husky voice and with a manner of imperious harshness as she stood with her hand on the lock of the door leading into the inner room she looked round over her shoulder and flung these words at rhoda like a missile you have made a mistake my husband is not here to-day of old days he has been remiss in not letting you know of his journey but men are apt i have been told to fail in polite attention to persons of your sort mrs errington cried rhoda turning pale less at the words than at the look and tone which interpreted their meaning so that it was impossible altogether to misunderstand it i came here to speak to mr errington about something he wished to hear of and if i may say it to you instead to me how dare you castalia turned full on her with a livid furious face lit by a pair of hollow burning eyes poor artificial small product of her social surroundings as she usually seemed the passion in the woman transfigured her now with a tragic fire and force before which rhoda's innocent lily nature seemed shrivelled and discoloured like a flower in the blast of a furnace it was strange to himself but mr gibbs as he looked at the two women and was fully conscious on which side lay the right in the matter could not help feeling an inexplicable thrill of sympathy with castalia as she stood there breathing quickly and hard with dilated nostrils and suffering tearless eyes the truth is that there was some subtle ingredient in mr gibbs composition which was more cognate with flesh and blood even erring passionate flesh and blood than with the cool fluid that circulates in the petals of a lily david powell would have said that it was a manifest stirring of the old adam which caused the regenerate obadiah gibbs a professing christian a confirmed and tried pillar of methodism a man whose precious experiences had been poured forth for the edification of many a band meeting to be conscious for the first time of some fellow-feeling with castalia at the very moment when she was conducting herself in a manner to shock every sentiment of what was just and fitting but whether it were due to original sin or to whatever other cause the fact remained that obadiah gibbs for the first time in his life now felt disposed to spare and screen the postmaster's wife i'll give the message when mr errington comes back said he to rhoda almost hustling her out of the office as he spoke the poor thing is not very well he added in a lower voice she has been a good deal cut up one way and another you mustn't think anything of her manner nor bear malice miss maxfield good morning when rhoda was gone feeling almost dizzy with surprise and fright gibbs followed mrs errington into the inner office he found her openly examining the contents of the table drawer having tossed all the papers she had found in it pell-mell on to the table gibbs entered and closed the door carefully mrs errington he began intending to remonstrate with her or perhaps utter something stronger than a remonstrance on her manner of conducting herself in the office when she interrupted him at once looking up from the heap of papers what message did that creature give you for my husband she asked abruptly 
now mrs errington you really must not go on in this way i am responsible to mr errington you know for things being right here did you hear me what message did that creature give you oh now really mrs errington i think you ought not to speak of rhoda maxfield in that way she is a very good girl and you hurt her terribly by your manner castalia smiled bitterly did i she said of course you're in league with her why does this good young woman come in here in secret to see my husband what can she want to say to him that cannot be said openly i cannot hear such things ma'am i can't indeed if you would give yourself an instant for reflection you would remember that miss maxfield offered to tell her message to you yourself offered to tell me do you really suppose i am duped by such low tricks i heard her say send him to me directly he comes back heard it with my own ears but of course you won't tell me the truth i am obliged to say mrs errington that you really must leave the office i am very sorry but i am responsible in mr errington's absence and i cannot allow you to turn everything topsy-turvy here in this way there has been trouble enough by your coming here already trouble enough who says so who is troubled mr errington is troubled and i am troubled and in short it's altogether out of rule then he confesses does he that he is afraid of my coming here to make discoveries about him why should he be troubled if he had nothing to conceal castalia spoke with trembling eagerness and excitement she had thrown all semblance of dignity or reserve to the winds she would have spoken as she was speaking at that moment in whitford market-place gibbs looked at her and a doubt came into his mind as to whether his suspicions and other people's suspicions about her were quite so well founded as he had thought she was terribly violent jealous insolent unconverted full of the leaven of unrighteousness but was she a practised hypocrite a woman experienced in dishonesty for the life of him obadiah gibbs could not feel so sure of this as he had felt now that he looked into her poor haggard face and met her eyes and heard her utterly incautious and vehement speeches as to me not telling you the truth mrs errington he said i suppose you know the truth as to why your visits here bring trouble to everybody tell it me you well i-oh you must be aware of it i suppose and if i was to tell you you would only be more angry and offended with me than ever though what i have done to excite your displeasure i don't know tell me this truth that i know so well do you think i should seriously care for anything you could say except as it concerned my husband mrs errington i don't know whether you are feigning or not but anyway i think it my duty to answer you with christian sincerity it is borne in upon me that i ought to do so go on go on go on cried castalia drumming with restless fingers on the table and looking up at the clerk with eyes that blazed with excitement and impatience you are aware that there have been unpleasant circumstances at the post-office letters lost money letters lost well your name has been mentioned in connection with those losses it is known in whitford that you come haunting the office at all hours when your husband is away a little while ago you paid a bill with some notes that were endorsed in a peculiar way people asked where you got those notes i thought it my duty to mention the subject to mr errington the other day he was greatly distressed of course he said he should interrogate you about the notes my advice to you is in all sincerity and charity as the lord sees me to tell your husband the truth whatever it is he ended his speech with a tremor of compassion in his voice and with a sudden breakdown of his rhetorical manner for castalia's face changed so piteously so terribly as he spoke that the man's heart was deeply touched by it she grew ashy pale 
the quick fingers that had been tapping impatiently on the table seemed turned to lead they lay there heavy and motionless her mouth was half open and her eyes stared straight before her at the blank wall of the yard as though they saw a spectre lord have mercy on us she is guilty thought obadiah gibbs and at that moment if he could have hidden her crime from the eyes of all men i believe he would have done it at the cost of a lie of course you're not bound to say anything to me you know mrs errington he went on after a short pause and as he spoke he bent nearer to her to rouse her for she seemed neither to hear nor to see him you'd better go home now at once you don't seem very strong still she did not move look here mrs errington i-you may rely upon my not breaking a word not one syllable to anybody else if you-if you will try to make things straight again as far as in your power lies go home now pray do still she did not move you don't look much able to walk i fear shall i send the boy for a fly let me send for a fly he softly touched her shoulder as he spoke and she immediately turned her head and answered with a composure that startled him yes get me a fly then she sat quite still again staring at the wall as before gibbs went out into the outer office and sent the boy for a vehicle there he remained pen in hand behind his desk until the jingle of the fly was heard at the door he went back himself to the private office to call castalia and found her sitting in exactly the same place and attitude she rose mechanically to her feet when he told her the fly was ready but as she began to walk towards the door she staggered and caught at gibbs's arm he supported her with a sort of quiet gravity as much as if he had been her old servant and she a cripple whose infirmity was a matter of course which showed much delicacy of feeling and as they neared the door he said in her ear take my advice ma'am and tell your husband the truth she turned her eyes on him with a singular look but said nothing tell him the truth and-and look upward lift your heart in prayer there is a fountain of grace and love ready for all who seek it not for me she answered in a low but distinct voice oh my poor soul don't say so don't think so by this time she was in the carriage having been almost lifted into it by gibbs she was perfectly quiet and tearless and as the vehicle drove away and gibbs stood watching it disappear he said to himself that her face was as the face of a corpse End of chapter sixteen